may, may sit down. So I've said, Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the pure in heart. The heart is so essential in the Christian life. Just like what Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked above everything in this world. And when we talk about the word heart in the Bible, it's not the organ on the center of our thorax or our chest. The, the heart in the Bible refers to our inner being. So the heart contains our thoughts, our desires, our goals, our plans, our ambitions. So everything that is in our life is based on our hearts. That's why we talk about the heart. And the very first thing that our Lord Jesus Christ changes when we come to Him and trust Him as our Lord and Savior is that He changes our hearts from a heart of flesh, a heart of stone, to a heart of flesh. He wants us to be sensitive to His voice so that we can follow His goals and His plans in our life. As kingdom citizens, my challenge to all of us today is to delight in a clean and pure heart. Because when we have a clean and pure heart, we will enjoy an eternal fellowship with the Lord God in heaven. So first and foremost, what does it mean to be pure-hearted? What does it mean to be pure in heart? So the word pure actually means to be clean, free from any contamination. Okay? So that's the opposite of impurity, the uh, opposite of contamination or dirt. First and foremost, the, the pure in heart are those who have an inner moral righteousness. So to have a pure inner heart, you need to have a moral righteousness in your inner being. Psalm chapter 24 verse 3 tells us, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So here in verse three, uh, verse 4 specifically, it says there, He that hath clean hands. He's not talking about just hands sanitized with alcohol or anything that cleans your hands. But he's talking about hands that are not causing any kind of violence or any wrongdoing against a fellow neighbor, a fellow human being. And take note, it says here, He is the one who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity. What does that mean? It means those who, people who don't, don't have idols in their life. Because the word vanity here is the same as the word idol in the Old Testament. So those people who have not lifted them, themselves unto idols. Remember back in the Old Testament, the Israelites were accused by God of being idol worshippers. They followed the Canaanite form of worship. God says, I'm the one and only God that you should be worshipping. But even at the end of the book of Malachi, they were still worshiping idols. So God says, if you want to be pure of heart, you need to be removing all your idols. Do you have any idols right now in your life? It may not be those stones or images or statues that you bow down, but anything that takes place, the center of your heart, rather than God, is your idol. So if you 
bow down to money, to your possessions, to everything else in the world rather than God, then that is your idol. And God says, you want to be pure in heart? Remove your idols. Also in verse 4, here in Psalm 24, it says, those who do not sworn swear deceitfully. That means they are not deceivers. They are not liars. They are not habitual liars. Because lying is also a, a, a problem to those people who are desiring to have pure in hearts. You want to be pure in heart? Don't be deceitful against other people. Don't lie because you know that you are accountable unto the Lord our God. So in essence, here in the very first um, definition of the pure in heart, God wants you to be honest. God wants you to cultivate an attitude of integrity. You know what the word integrity means? It comes from the word integer. You know, those who are math-loving people here. What is an integer? An integer is a whole number, right? That means if God wants you to be a person of integrity, you, He wants to be a whole person. You're not only um, good physically, but also spiritually. So, God wants us holistically to be sound, to be right before Him in your body, in your spirit, and in your thoughts. So God wants you to cultivate that, honesty, integrity. He wants you to cultivate patience and perseverance, and of course, the fruit of the Spirit. The, because the more that you develop those attitudes in your life, you are going to see God in increasing manner. Not visibly, but you will see Him working in your life. Because that's what God does to us through the Holy Spirit. When we are pure in heart, the Holy Spirit is truly working in us. Secondly, to be pure in heart means to be sincere, to be free of hypocrisy. Do you know who are the people mentioned by the Lord Jesus Christ as the most hypocritical group in the Bible? the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders. And that's why we, as God's people, we ought not to be religious. We can be religious, but if you're religious, the Lord Jesus Christ says, you are a hypocrite. Look at what Matthew chapter 6 tells us, starting in verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Take note, why are these Pharisees religious leaders parading in the streets? Because they want to have glory of men. What does that mean? That means they want to be praised by people. And not only that, not only in giving alms to the, to the poor people, Verse 5 says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. So they go into the center of the, a very public place, perhaps in nowadays that will be in the center of a mall, and they will pray long prayers. Why do they do that? To please God? No. Jesus Christ said they want to have praises of men. They want men to tell them, Oh, you're a good pastor. You're a good Christian. You pray long prayers. 
in the middle of that public place. But Jesus Christ said, no, that's not what is pleasing to the Lord. I call them hypocrite. You know what a hypocrite means? The word hypocrite comes from the time of uh, the Shakespeare era, the Shakespeare period, wherein the actors, the stage actors there, they wear masks to um, emulate or to act out their parts. So they wear masks. But the parts that they act in the stage are not their real attitudes or real behavior. So they act out the person that they need to imitate. And they use masks. So when Jesus Christ says to the Pharisees and the scribes, you are hypocrites, you are like stage actors. You're just acting out everything. It's not the real you. It's not your real attitude. As Christians, God doesn't want us to be acting like hypocrites. We're not, we not stage actors. Whatever we are at home, in the family, in, the, in, the, in our workplace, in the school, or in the church, should be the same. So again, it points out to the word integrity. We do, we do not change. In the church, we look like people with halo. But when we're in, a, in another place, in the workplace, we're another kind of person. That's not what Jesus Christ wants for each one of us. Because in that case, we want to be praising, uh, to be praised by men rather than praised by God. So in praying and in giving to people, these Pharisees were hypocrites in the eyes of Jesus. Not only that, in verse 16, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. During that time when they fast, you know what they do? They put on sackcloth. They put on ashes on their face, the whole body, so that people can see, oh, let's leave this person behind. L leave him alone because he's fasting. He's dedicating his life to God. But in that case, they were telling people, oh, I'm a good person. I'm doing what the Bible tells me to do. But they are not seeking the approval of God, but they're seeking the approval of people. So in giving, in praying, and fasting, those are three important religious behaviors during that time. And Jesus Christ said, these people, they're not really pleasing God, but they are pleasing men. So where are their rewards? They don't have any rewards from God because they already received the rewards from men. And as Christians, God doesn't want us to receive rewards from men. He wants us to please Him and Him alone. Are your motives for serving God pure or are they mixed and insincere? Why do you go to church every Sunday morning? Is it because a tradition, a ritual, a religious thing for you to do? Or do you come here because you really want to meet with God, meet with God's people, and seek His direction through the preaching of His Word? I hope the second one is your goal. I hope the first one is not your aim for going to church. Why do you express your belief to other people? Why do you tell them the good news of the gospel? Is it because you want other people to say that, oh, you're a good preacher, you're a good witness to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it 
the approval of men that you are seeking or is it the approval or the pleasure of God? I pray that your motives for God, serving God, is pure. They should not be mixed and insincere because God can see our hearts. Even if you try to fake it, God can still see through your heart. So be real, be natural. Keep serving the Lord and pleasing Him. Thirdly, to be pure in heart means to be single-minded in our devotion. You know, right now, being single-minded or being focused in our devotion to God is so difficult, right? Especially if you're, you're studying, you are uh, working, and if you want to, you want to um, study the Word of God, you get distracted. And also here in the church service, that's why I always ask everybody if you can mute your phone or turn it to vibrate mode. Why? Because when something that noisy um, is heard by everybody, everybody is distracted. And that is the reason why also we change our, our seats this way. Remember last time our seats are facing that, that, time, that, uh, that um, wall? And when everybody, when someone's coming through that door, those latecomers, everybody by nature will look at the door. And usually those people come when I'm preaching. So you get distracted. And sometimes I get distracted also. My train of thought is disturbed. But, you know, God wants us to be fully focused. That's why we are in the church. Our purpose here, just like what Brother Ronnie shared with us, it's about praising God. It's not, it's not about us. It's all about Jesus Christ. And to be pure in heart means to be single-minded, to be fully devoted in God. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, the Lord God said to his people through the prophet, You shall seek me and find me. But there's a condition. When you shall search for me with all your heart. God did not say, when you search for me with half of your heart. Or with just 50% of your heart. When you serve God, when you seek Him, when you seek His direction, His calling upon your life, you do your best. You give your 100%. Not only of your focus, but also of your time. Sometimes, when we study or meditate on the Word of God, we are distracted by the notifications on our phones. Or if you're using your computer, when you're meditating on the Word of God, there, there will be some pop-ups. And then you go to different websites. And then, lo and behold, after some time, you're no longer in the Word of God. You're already in the world. That's not the way it is in God's kingdom. He wants us to be fully focused in Him. When we pray also, sometimes probably uh, you're a stay-at-home mom or you're doing something at, wor uh, at work and you're in a break time perhaps or you're cooking when you're at home and then uh, you want to pray 12 o'clock I want to pray for about 5 to 10 minutes but then you while you were praying you uh, you remember oh I'm still cooking my rice or my food I need to stop my praying and then after some time you get back into praying that's not how we set our appointment with God. When you set an appointment with God, stick to it. God, I'm going to pray, read the Bible for about 15 minutes, and that will be an unhindered time of fellowship with you. No 
distractions, nothing else. Only you and me having fellowship. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ did that all throughout his three and a half years of ministry on this earth. Before he went to the busy ministry the whole day, he goes into a solitary place and have fellowship with God. If the Son of God chooses and knows that he needs to have fellowship with his Father, how much more each one of us? That's why God wants us to be undistracted, to be single-minded. Psalm 86 verse 11, King David says, Lord, teach me thy way. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. That's a strange word to say to our hearts. Unite my heart. What does it mean? David saying, make my heart undivided. Make my heart focused only in you, my Lord. Because as a king, of course, King David has so many distractions also. Perhaps he was praying at one time and then one of his subjects or the soldiers will come. There's enemy coming in, trying to invade our territory. Those could be distractions during that time. But for us, there also are many distractions. So we need to pray to the Lord, Lord, make my heart individed to fear thy name. Make my heart united. Be focused only in you. And of course, another great example is the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Hey, take note. He said, one thing I do. There's no other thing that I do except this thing. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. That means reaching forth means extending my arms like that unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. His goal is just Jesus Christ. Seeing him in the finish line. That's his only goal. Other goals that he have are subservient to that ultimate goal of seeing Jesus Christ in the finish line. Are you pursuing God with your whole heart or are you half-hearted? When you are given an, an assignment by God to do something in his ministry, in our church family, do you give your 100% or you just give only half of your time, half of your effort? Sometimes we, when we do something for our employers, what do we do? Especially in the workplace, we go the extra mile, right? Because some, for some, even we like it or not, we want to please our employers. But remember, our ultimate employer is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So in everything that we do, we do everything, we do our best. We do our 100%. We give him the 100%. We give him the best. If our employers deserve the best, how much more our Lord Jesus Christ? He deserves the very best from all of us. Next, we need to answer the question also. Yes, we have the knowledge about what does it mean to be pure in heart, but what does it mean to grow? How can we grow, practically speaking, to be pure in heart? There are seven things that I would like to share with you. So, all of them are in the slideshow, so please take them down. These are very important for all of us to review after this message. 
First and foremost, to grow, to grow in the purity of heart, make sure that you are saved. Remember, all these beatitudes are not the means to salvation. These beatitudes are the attitudes or the behavior or the actions of people who are already saved. So in order for you to have a pure in heart, you need to be sure that you are saved. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. What is the difference between a stony heart and a heart of flesh? A stony heart is not sensitive to God's voice. A stony heart is a calloused heart. A stony heart is a heart that is atherosclerotic. The, a heart that is filled with so much cholesterol plaques that blood can no longer be pumped by the heart through that blood vessel. That's what it means by a stony heart. No more sensitivity to God. And sometimes we as God's people, our hearts can become callous. If we are sinking deep into the pool of sin in our life, that we don't allow God and His Holy Spirit to change our hearts, that we can become callous. But at the moment of our salvation, our stony heart has been changed by God into a heart of flesh. So the heart of flesh is a heart that is sensitive to God's voice. And that's why you can sense when you spend some time with the Word of God, you are undistracted, you are focused on the Word of God, you can sense God speaking to you through His Word. You can understand what He really means, what He wants you to apply in your life. That's the heart of flesh. But you cannot have the heart of flesh until you are saved. And if you are here today, you don't know what it means to be saved, perhaps you, don't, you are not really saved. The Bible says in order for you to be saved, you need to repent of your sins, turn from your sins, because all of us are sinners, the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. Because we are sinners, we're going to hell by default. That's our destination. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and He rose again on the third day. So He gives us victory over sin and death. You can, can never be saved by your own works. You cannot be saved automatically because Jesus Christ died on the cross. You need to accept that gift of eternal life. You need to believe on Jesus Christ and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says, if you call out on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He was raised from the dead on the third day, you are given His righteousness. You are forgiven of your sins and you will be given a heart of flesh. So to be pure in heart, you need to be saved at first. Secondly, after you got saved, you need to be continually confessing anything that is displeasing to God. Continually confess anything that is displeasing to God. What are the things that are displeasing to God? That's what we call sin. White lies. Any kind of lie. Anything that violates the commandments of God. Not only the Ten Commandments 
If you are forsaking the assembling as a church and you don't have a valid reason to forsake the assembling, that is sin. The Bible says, preach the gospel to every creature. And if you're not doing that, that is sin. There are so many commands in the Bible, and if we neglect to obey those commands, we are committing sin against the Lord. So we might think that sinning is just killing, committing adultery, lying, being envious or covetous. You know, there's also that sin of omission. We always think of sin as sin of commission, something that we do. But there's also sin that we do not do if we do not do what is right. If we know that we need to be loving to our neighbors, we need to be giving to the poor people, if we have the ability to do that, we are committing sin in the eyes of God. So let's get that out of our minds to think that sin is only the sin of commission. There's also the sin of omission. And what do we need to do? Confess. Confess those things that are displeasing to God. God, you want me to share the good news to my friend. I believe she's ready or he is ready. But I dismissed the opportunity. I became like discouraged. I sinned against you because you want me to tell him or her the good news so that he or she can be saved. That is also sin. So what do we do? Just like King David at the end of Psalm 139, you know, here in Psalm 139, King David realized that God is omnipotent, that God is omniscient, and God is omnipresent. That means He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and present everywhere. At the end of Psalm 139, he said, God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, King David says, Lord, I know that I've sinned against you. If there's any sin in my heart right now, I'm confessing them to you and lead me into the everlasting way. Confess your sin. Of course, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But don't just quote that verse like it's a very familiar verse for all of us that it becomes like a ritual or tradition. Mean it when you quote that verse. When you confess to the Lord, mean it and try your best not to do it anymore. Remember the adulterous woman in John chapter 8 who was caught in the act of adultery by some men? And you know, the strange thing in that story is that they caught the woman in the act of adultery, of course, who will be the partner? The man, right? But they only accused the woman. But the man, they just let go. That's why Jesus Christ said, where are these people who were condemning you and accusing you? The woman said at the end of that, in John chapter 8, verse 11, there's no one who accused me. So what did Jesus Christ do? I'm not, go I'm not going to accuse you or condemn you also. But remember this, go and sin no more. The same thing with all of us. When we confess our sins to the Lord God, He wants us to go, move on. Don't linger on that sin. 
but don't sin anymore. That means do not live anymore a habitual sinful life. Of course, it doesn't mean that we're not going to commit any sin anymore. But as God is sanctifying us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to do our best not to sin anymore, not to displease God. Because we know that sin is a great offense to the Lord God. Of all people that we don't want to be offended, we don't want God to be offended because He is our God. He is the one that we worship. Thirdly, to grow in purity of heart, we need to guard and to protect our hearts. Guard and protect our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. That means to guard, to preserve with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. You know, our physical, I would like to illustrate to you uh, a, a very um, similar um, understanding of what our physical heart and our spiritual heart really means. You know, our physical heart is the main organ that pumps blood, okay, from from the heart itself to other parts of the body. Our spiritual heart is the center of our being also. And it is the seat of all our actions and our thoughts. So our spiritual heart, the thoughts, the inner being, will also the determining factor of what will be our actions or what will be our behavior. So for example, our physical heart, if our heart pumps dirty blood or to all other parts of the body, what do you think would happen to the rest of our body? Our body will be filled with dirt, will be filled with sickness and everything that is not good for the whole body. The spiritual heart is the same thing. If our heart, our spiritual heart is filled with impure thoughts, thoughts that are not pleasing to the Lord God, it will be contaminating every part of our life. It will affect our Christian witness. It will affect our service towards the Lord. That's why being pure in heart is so important for all of us to cultivate. And don't just believe what I said. Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So what makes us dirty? What makes our heart or our life impure is everything that comes from the heart. You know why the world is so much worse compared to the past probably 20 or 30 years? It's the heart of people. People say that, oh, there's so much crimes right now because of perhaps the, the nature problem or because of what's going on in the world right now. That's why People are so bad right now compared to many, many years ago. It's not the reason why. It's because of the heart of every individual. The heart is so deceitful. That's why we need to guard and protect our heart. 
And that's why Jesus Christ said in Matthew 6, also 19 to 21, Lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And take note, verse 21 is so important. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart, your inner being, everything, your thoughts, your goals, ambitions, your plans, will go after your treasure. So we need to ask yourself, who or what is my treasure? If you say my treasure is this world, my treasure is all my possessions, then your heart will follow that. And that's true. Why do people in the world right now are so covetous and greedy? Because their heart is after what? The almighty dollars. Instead of God being the almighty, the dollars become the almighty. You follow where your treasure is. Your heart will follow your treasure. So you need to take time right now. Make a self-evaluation, an inventory. What or who is my treasure? If it's God who is your treasure, then you will be following Him. Fourthly, to grow in purity of heart, of course, it's easy to say, pray. To be pure in heart, pray and ask for the Lord to purify your heart. Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. You cannot make your heart clean. You cannot make your heart pure. Whatever you do, whether you put sanitizer on your heart, alcohol, or take some medicines in order to purify your heart, that will not purify your heart. Only God can change your heart. God is the greatest surgeon. He is the one who changed your stony heart into a fleshy heart. So when you want to become to have a pure heart, ask the Lord. Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. He is the only one who can create in us a clean heart. He is the only one who can restore to us the right attitude, the right action, and the right behavior. Fifthly, to grow in purity of heart, saturate yourself with God's word. Again, something that is so simple, but something that we don't do most of the time. In John chapter 15, verse 3, the chapter that talks about Jesus Christ being the vine and we, his people, being the branches, he said, Now you are clean or pure. Through what? Through the word which I have spoken unto you. What is this word that he has spoken unto them? His teachings, his doctrines, and for us, the whole Bible. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's one thing that we need to remember at all times. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because when you remember the, the word of God, that will hinder you. That will help you avoid sinning. Why do we believe that the Word of God is that powerful that we need to saturate ourselves? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is quick, that means it's alive. It's powerful. How can it become powerful? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Have you experienced that when you read the Word of God, you are in in undistracted, you are really focused on the Word of God? For example, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and you meditate on those, on those two verses, and then the Lord will just speak to you through those words. You are trusting in yourself rather than in me. Acknowledge me, and I will make your path straight. I will direct your paths. Have you experienced that? That the word is really very much alive, as if it's Jesus Christ speaking to you, not in an audible voice, but he's speaking through your heart. That's how the word of God is so powerful. The word of God does not kill people, but it changes the hearts of people. It discerns and intents the intents and the thoughts of your heart. I cannot read your hearts, not even the devil can see your heart, but the Lord God can see your heart because He does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at your heart. So remember that. Saturate yourself with the Word of God. It doesn't matter whether you follow our Bible schedule, our Bible reading schedule. If you have your own schedule, stick to it. Because you'll never know. Or perhaps you might say, one time you have your quiet time, with the Lord, and you say, this doesn't make sense. But all throughout the day, perhaps all throughout the week, you can see that the word that God has taught you in the past is now making sense. And God is using that in order to guide you in making decisions especially. Number six, to grow in purity of heart, you must desire to know God more than anything else. As I've said a while ago, those who are pure in heart, they are single-minded in their devotion to the Lord. And as you are single-minded in your devotion, you want to know Him more. Is there anybody here who know God fully? Do you know God 100%? Then if you know God 100%, then you need to take over this pulpit. Right? No one knows God fully. Even the Apostle Paul the greatest in the New Testament Bible characters, he said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He wants to know Christ more and more. Even though he was already in prison during this time, almost at the end of his life, he said, I, have, I am not mature yet. I am not grown fully spiritual. I still need to grow. I still need to mature. And all of us need maturity. All of us continue to need to grow, especially in our knowledge, in our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, what's the best way to know Jesus Christ more and more? Through His Word, through prayer. And all other things are just extras, like fellowship, lunches, uh, Bible study, but your personal time with the Lord is so important. That's why um, in this pulpit, in our church, I always tell you, spend time with the Lord individually, personally. That's the most important thing in your life. You might be attending church every Sunday, you might be attending all kinds of Bible study, but if you don't have a personal study 
of the Word of God, then you will not fully grow. You will not fully grow. Lastly, to grow in purity of heart, continually think of eternity. Colossians 3, 1 says, If you then be risen with Christ, that means if you are saved, then you must be seeking those things which are above, where Christ seated on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Right now, we are distracted by what's going on in the world. Perhaps you're distracted by right now by your olfactory bulbs on your brain and your noses by the spring rolls being cooked right now in the kitchen because the smell, the aroma is already here. That's causing some kind of distraction. But don't think about that. Think of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is everybody here eager to see Jesus Christ face to face? Are you waiting for him to come back a second time? Are you waiting to be raptured into the clouds and be with all the believers in the world? Only one amen. I think there's only a few people <laughs> excited, right? I know, all of you are excited. But be excited. Be excited that Jesus Christ is coming soon. That's our ultimate hope. We don't have hope in this world because the hope of this world is vacillating. It's transient. It's shifting. It may vary from one day to another. But our hope in Jesus Christ is permanent. That's why he said, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Everything that you do for Christ, whether that will be a small thing or a great thing in the eyes of men, that will be pleasing unto our Almighty Father. And that will be carried on as your reward in heaven. Are you thinking of eternity? Are you waiting to see Christ very, very soon? Lastly, what does the promise of seeing God mean? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's in the future. We will see God visibly and physically in the future. But this phrase, they shall see God, has a present aspect, has a present connotation also. How do we see God right now in our present time? We see God in creation. You yourself are created in the image and likeness of God. So we see God in each one of us. We see God in every creation of the Lord. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, okay, the clouds, showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge of God. The trees, the plants, everything that we see in the world, these are all creation of God. So we can see God in creation. We can see God in our present time. We can see God also in our difficult circumstances. Remember Job, in Job chapter 1, verse 21, he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job was overwhelmed with the death of his children. He was overwhelmed with the loss of his wealth and his possessions. Only his wife was spared from this tragedy. But he said, The Lord giveth, the Lord can take away. That's the perspective 
of a person who is pure in heart. He knows that God is also in the difficult circumstances of life. Thirdly, we see God in acts of worship. Back in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, the, the apostles and other believers who were saved during that time, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And they, verse 46, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. We see God in acts of worship. We see God in the worship service. We see God in the prayer meeting. We see God in the Bible studies. So we can see God presently, although not visibly. But in the future, we're going to see God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Apostle Paul says, For now we see through a glass darkly. Are you sometimes frustrated, disappointed? Because it seems that everything is so blurry right now. You don't see where your life is going through. And what's happening in the world, what's happening in my life, what's happening to this church, and in any place in the world. It's so dark. It's so blurry. But then, the Apostle Paul says, But then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. In the future, everything will be clear. We will see why all these things happened in our life, why all these things happened in this world. Why God has allowed these tragedies, why God allowed the difficult circumstances in our life. We may not be able to know, just like Job. Job never knew that it was, it was a battle or a warfare between God and Satan. And God never told him during this time. But now that Job is in heaven, he knew 100% that what happened was a spiritual warfare. And most likely, what's happening in our life also, as we can see from Job, is that it's part of the spiritual warfare. That, you know, the war in, in the Middle East, the war between Ukraine and Russia, the war that we experience as God's people, those are part of the spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual warfare happening behind the scene. It's a battle between right and wrong. It's a battle between good and evil. But now we're not very sure. But when we go to heaven, when we come face to face with our Almighty God, then we will know perfectly what really happened. And we will no longer be disappointed because there will be no more disappointment. There will be no more frustration. There will be no more hopelessness because right there and then, we are going to see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as kingdom citizens, we must delight in a clean and pure heart because we will enjoy our eternal fellowship with God. Yes, enjoy. I'm using the word enjoy because as Christians, God wants us to have fun, but not the fun that the world is teaching us. It's fun God's way. It's enjoyment God's way. It's seeking His pleasure, not our pleasure and the pleasure of this world. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this um, sixth beatitude that you have taught us this morning. 
I pray that we will have a self-evaluation uh, today, Lord, and seek your voice and seek you with all our heart to know, Lord, um, the direction that you want us, O oh Lord, to take individually also as, and also as a church. Help us, Lord, to seek you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, Lord, to be pure in heart. And as we pray for a clean heart and for a renewal of a right spirit within us, O oh Lord, we are thankful that you will do, be doing that, that O oh Lord, for all of us. Because you love us. You want us to be pure in heart rather than be hypocrites. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to delight and enjoy knowing that in the very near future, we're going to have an eternal, an everlasting, a never-ending fellowship with you and with all the believers. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.